Conversations like today's are only possible thanks to the generous support of Food Tank members. Become a member today, and in addition to supporting our great work, you'll get benefits like a beautiful surprise Food Tank branded gift, a free ticket for you and a guest to any Food Tank summit of your choice, free entry plus a guest to all Food Talk Live member events and networking receptions. Includes free entry to any of our evening format events with special guest speakers like Alice Waters and many more. Exclusive benefits and discounts throughout the year through partners like the James Beard Foundation, Slow Food USA, Edible Magazine, and many more. Your name listed in all Food Tank Summit printed programs and in our annual report. Visit foodtank.com join to become a member today. Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk's executive producer, Rob Perra. On today's episode, Steph Dehan, PhD, senior scientist on Andean food systems at the International Potato Center, talks about the relationship between agrobiodiversity and diet diversity in the Andes region in Peru. He also discusses how markets and short circuits can reshape the food system. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Food Talk Live. I'm your host, Danny Nirenberg. One of you know the the things that um, I like most about my job is I you know pre COVID have been able to travel to so many international agricultural research centers. Uh, I visited the International Livestock Research Institute in Ethiopia, uh, the International Center for Tropical Agriculture in Colombia, uh, the World Vegetable Center in Taiwan, and many many others. Kind of countless. One that I'm still is on my bucket list that I'm really excited about going to someday however, is the International Potato Center, which is located in, in Peru. And that's why I'm so excited that I get to talk to Dr. Steph DeHaan, who is a senior scientist on Andean food systems at the International uh, Potato Center, again, which is located in Peru. His work with the center reveals how agrobiodiversity can improve the quality of diets among people in the Andes mountain region. Um, he's also working to determine how businesses and corporations, consumers, and other stakeholders in the supply chain can work together to trigger a positive change, especially among vulnerable populations in the Andean region uh, and many other mountain communities. Um, so I am so excited that you're here, Steph. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. I also want to give a shout out to my friend, uh, and I think your friend too, Margaret Ziegler, who introduced us and, and, and sort of made this interview possible. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for the invitation. It's really a pleasure to, to be here on your program. Thank you. So one of the things that I, I used to do was always ask uh, everyone their, their favorite food memory. Um, but I, I'd like to ask you your favorite sort of potato food memory. You know, you're surrounded by potatoes every day in your work. Do you have a favorite yes. dish or recipe or, you know, uh, something you've been served, you know, by a community that you think is just, you know, the epitome of what it means to eat potatoes? Yeah, my, my, stronger, my strongest image of that is something which uh, in Quechua is called chakru or chalo. It is, a, it is a mixture of potatoes and it's the typical way that Andean highland communities eat potatoes. It's basically, if you eat potatoes three times a day, uh, it's, it's important to have a mixture of varieties on your, on your plate. And uh, it's, 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 it has different uh, names in Quechua and Aymara, but the chacho is, is, is well known. And it ba it's basically a mixture of, of beautiful, deep-eyed, colorful potatoes 
and the typical image is if, if you're sitting uh, in a farmer's house uh, with the family around a pot of, of these potatoes, everyone picks uh, a, a different potato uh, uh -huh. every time. So it's kind of diversity of potato on a single dish or a single plate. That's great. And that's what we're here to talk about today is really diversity, not just in, in agriculture systems, but diversity in our, in our diets as well. And before we begin, Steph, I'm wondering if you can describe how, how the pandemic has been impacting, um, you know, the communities that you typically work with in, in Peru. How, how are they coping with, you know, what we're all trying to get through? Yes, no, it, I think there has been stages of progress in how it has affected the communities. Uh, in the beginning, especially because the lockdown was very severe, uh, market access and uh, even access to, to supplies from other cities outside of the rural uh, spaces was, was very difficult. Uh, then in, kind of in the second phase, when, when markets opened up again, uh, in the beginning, uh, farmers had difficulty of uh, negotiating prices, uh, particularly because uh, the informal sector is so important in Peru. And most of the initial uh, transport sector that was, was allowed to, to do the distribution was the formal sector. So uh, there were fewer middlemen and the, the middlemen basically had more influence and more bargaining power over the price. Uh, and as the pandemic moved forward, there were a lot of uh, very creative uh, innovations from both from the civil society and from the government side. Uh, one thing to mention is uh, a program that's called uh, Solidary Baskets or Canasta Solidarias. A lot of the regional governments uh, promoted it, kind of uh, direct farm to fork, uh, buying from farmers and bringing that to the local cities. Uh, and also, uh, three months three months into to the pandemic, uh, really the smallholder farmers and the farmer markets moved much quicker to to uh, e-commerce and uh, and uh, home delivery. You no, know? so the so in the beginning it was very challenging, uh, and later on during the pandemic there were lots of innovations to to deal with those challenges. That, that's great. And, you know, it, it's it's challenging for, I know, smallholder farmers because, as you mentioned, they are part, you know, usually of the informal sector um, and that, that lack of access to markets and the problems they, they faced, you know, early on, knowing that, you know, civil society and, and I'm sure farmers groups and others really worked together to solve those problems and, and very quickly is, I think, sort of one of the the things that we've learned during this pandemic that farmers when allowed to, um, you know, organize and, 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 you know, work together collectively can solve a lot of these problems on their own and, 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 and can do so without um, a, a lot of support, but they should have more support because that would facilitate, you know, their, the, the, the creation of, of, of better um, nutrition and nutrient density and, and all of the things that we want from a food system. Yes, de definitely. And, and I, I think a lot of those innovations that sprouted from kind of bottom up, uh, they, they will stay. Many of them will become more institutionalized, but, uh, but especially the, the e-commerce and the, the, home, the home delivery uh, and also the public pro procurement and, and doing public procurement for emergency relief closer to where the food is produced. 
those are some of the innovations that I think the government in the Andean region is very keen to to, to strengthen. And then the other the other the other uh, yeah, the, the, the other the other thing that people quickly uh, realized is that how resilient actually the informal system is. So sometimes sometimes we criticize the informal system for food safety issues uh, and for or maybe not being able to to enter into the formal economy with with paying taxes, but on the mm -hmm. other hand, there's a lot of agility uh, in dealing with these unexpected uh, situations. You no, know, in the distribution, uh, in linking supply to demand, uh, and also yeah, for resilience, uh, that that's really important. Absolutely, we've seen how regional food systems have really been able to to take the place of these more formalized sectors. Um, in, in, in our food economies, you know, as, as you mentioned, the, often the informal sector is just more resilient because they can pivot more quickly. They don't have bureaucracy involved or, or, or long distances to traverse. There's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, I, I think keeping some of what uh, we've learned during this pandemic, post-pandemic, you know, understanding how um, we can really regionalize our, our, our food economies. I love what you said about this, you know, um, pivot to to e-commerce and home delivery to know that that you know that's something we've we've seen happen in the United States but to know that it's happening in other parts of the world and that it's going well I think is is a huge lesson yes yeah and there, there is also an intergenerational aspect to it you no know, a lot of the a lot of the things that we saw with the more biodiverse farmers uh, uh, which are generally older farmers, the, the custodians, the ones that maintain a lot of diversity and knowledge about this diversity. Uh, they, they, in the beginning, had a lot of difficulty to, to connect digitally and to, to participate in that, in that digital uh, shift. But uh, yeah, because a lot of the young migrants uh, who have a rural background, they, they, they returned to the communities they brought a lot of those skills back from the city, and uh, we, we've had a few a few meetings with farmers, where uh, where the main participants were the elders, but the the whole connection was uh, facilitated by 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 their uh, sons and daughters. You know? So that's uh, that, there's a, there's a, there's an intergenerational uh, ele element there as well. Yeah, I love that. That's like. That's what you want when people come back to share their skills and and to make agriculture better in different ways. And so, like the use of technology, I think has become more important, more and more important. There are obviously, you know, risks to technology in the food system, but there are also incredible benefits, as we've been seeing. Um, one of the things that that I've been worried about is how your research, the research that you do every day at the International Potato Center, and the research being done by you know, so many scientists all over the world, how it's being affected. Your, your work is obviously hampered um, in, in different ways, including travel, not being able to you know, see what's actually going on in communities or see what's happening with soil or you know, uh, you know, actually figure out how to be helpful. Uh, are, are you concerned you know, that we've been set back in, in many ways in terms of research? Yes, definitely. The, this whole year, the whole pandemic has been a, a huge setback for, for research as well. Uh, a lot of the trials in the field could not be harvested. Uh, okay. We could not access the field and we're, were very reliant on, on our partners, but also didn't want to expose our, our partners uh, 
So the whole shift to, to having the biosecurity protocols uh, and at the same time also funding for, for research, uh, uh, especially with the agriculture, because there's a lot of attention at the moment to kind of the, the urgent needs of the, of the public health. Uh, so, so the longer term investment in agricultural research is kind of uh, disappearing more to the background. And especially in Latin America, that uh, it has always been, or during the last decade, it has become more and more difficult to get uh, uh, the right level of investment from uh, international donors and investors in, uh, in the sector in Latin America. Even yeah. though Latin America is a breadbasket for, for, for the whole world, and at the same time, a, set, a center of origin and diversity where a lot of the solutions for global deployment are developed, uh, it's very difficult to, the, fund, the funding environment has been, apart from the logistics and the operative uh, challenges uh, that have been, have been severely affected. Absolutely. And, and you use the term right level of development. And, and I think that's kind of a crucial point because Latin America has often been, you know, sort of neglected and ignored, despite what you said about being, the, you know, a center of agrobiodiversity, a center for innovation, um, a center for, you know, really the, the um, emergence of, of civil society groups, farmers groups really taking the lead in, in, on some of these issues. What, what level of investment do you you know, organizations, institutions like yours need, as well as, as farmers, what would be the right level of investment? How much attention should the world be paying to what ha is happening in Latin America? I, I think it, it, should, it should be uh, a, si a sizable investment and, and a co-investment. Co no? it, should, it should be uh, an investment uh, where, we, where, where there is international investment, but also uh, counterparts from 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 the countries, uh, and especially uh, uh, also in uh, an investment uh, in national national capacity and uh, the increased uh, kind of emergence of, of also the, the the strength of of agricultural science in the in the region. So the the the, the right type of investments I think is in in in, in partnerships in co-investment. Uh, public-private uh, type uh, of models, uh, and also models uh, that that recognize uh, the ecosystem services uh, or or the, the, the in, also for food provision that come from Latin America. No? So that one of those uh, is very much related uh, to agrobiodiversity, for example. Uh, the International Treaty on Plant Genetic Resources for Food and Agriculture uh, recognizes uh, farmers' rights and the importance of uh, of centers of origin. Mm -hmm. But if if we look at the investment uh, into those centers of origin uh, for 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 triggering development based on native plants or native animals or with indigenous populations that maintain that food diversity, uh, that's a particular area that I think needs much more uh, uh, innovation. Um, if you compare it to water or to to uh, and maybe after water soils, uh, but especially water, there's been a lot of advances in payment for those kinds of services. Uh, but services for soils or services for 
agrobiodiversity uh, maintenance and for maintaining the evolution of crops has been lost lots a uh, lot less developed you know? so Absolutely. certainly there are a lot of innovations uh, but 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 more uh, some of those innovations need to be scaled you know? Uh, absolutely absolutely I, I think so as well and you mentioned you know the the role of indigenous people and and how those populations play i mean they're they're not recognized for their their willingness and their ability to preserve agrobiodiversity in fields in, in latin america and around the globe and and so i'm i'm hoping you can sort of explain the connection between the role that indigenous populations play and you know the 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 agrobiodiversity of of potato crops in 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 in, in peru uh in in other parts of the andes yes i think i think the the when we often when we look as scientists or or crop specialists at uh, genetic resources already the, gen, the the name itself says it no it's we, we see it as a resource or we use it for breeding and for genetic enhancement uh, but for indigenous populations, uh, like so much research has shown, uh, it is not only a resource, but it's also part of a lifestyle of, or a foodway. Uh, and one thing that, that the international centers, when, when you mentioned the World Vegetable Center, you mentioned the uh, World Livestock Center, SIP, when, when a lot of the centers started, uh, uh, the notion was that in the end, uh, uh, improved varieties would inevitably uh, displace the, the traditional varieties. No? But it has been especially the indigenous uh, food cultures that, that have been so strong and so re resilient that have often incorporated new, new varieties and new technologies, but at the same time uh, maintained all of these diversity. So in the case of specifically of potatoes, uh, with, with few exceptions of a few, a few uh, few specific types of potatoes, the early pureja potatoes or, or bitter potatoes, there is still very little evidence of loss. Uh, and and uh, every time when we compare something in the field to the gene bank, uh, we find things that are unique in the field and that, that come from, uh, from farmers uh, maintaining and nurturing that, that diversity. But, uh, often uh, for, the far for the farmer, conservation is not uh, a motive to maintain it. No, for them, it's it's more the use, uh, the active use of those uh, of those foods and those varieties, and the indirect consequence of that is the conservation. But uh, what what you see, as long as the as long as the uh, kind of the preference traits are in, in place, as long as people uh, pro uh, have preferences for for those indigenous foods and also uses. Uh, through processing or storage or confronting risk, uh, maybe because they they, they better uh, deal with hail or they better deal with uh, with frost, uh, then then, as, uh, then then often th those uh, resources are maintained. The other the other thing is that that it's not static. No, the, the thing is that we often think of uh, Quechua or Aymara or indigenous cultures. Uh, kind of as traditional ancestral but but especially when it comes to food and the use of varieties there's a lot of dynamics and, and change all the time uh, and that's reflected in the naming of the varieties uh, that's reflected also in in new uses in the in the kitchen of the varieties so all the time uh, 
that is changing. And, and part of that process is that uh, some varieties get lost inevitably, and but also uh, at the same time, new kind of new diversity emerges uh, in the field. No? So often when we compare uh, what was there 20 years ago or 40 years ago, when we go, go back and compare, we, we may find completely different uh, varietal portfolios or things that people remember from the past, but say, well, these, these things are not useful anymore. They, they were useful 30 years ago. So it's also a, a different way of thinking about uh, a more dynamic way of conservation. But, but in the end, uh, when you boil it down, uh, the food system and the whole preference for people for those foods uh, just like maybe you can compare it to wine in France or, or to cheeses in France, like eating a potato in Peru or eating quinoa in Bolivia uh, is uh, complete, completely different from, from eating a potato in, uh, in the Netherlands, for example. No? Absolutely. And, it, you know, I, I think you brought up some important points about how cultures evolve and how the foods that different communities eat, they evolve along with them. And so that, you know, this idea that things are static and they stay the same just because they're traditional or indigenous is not the case that, you know, these communities evolve and their foods evolve along with them. Yes, yes. yes. And the, uh, and the, the, it, it has positive and it has nev negative effects. You no, know? the, the double burden that we see uh, globally has also been affecting Latin America, of course, I think many people know the cases of Mexico and the levels of obesity in Central America, but also in the Andean region, uh, like the accessibility of ultra-processed food, uh, also also in the rural communities, uh, uh, is is very easy and it's often cheap, and and often because it looks uh, processed and it comes from outside, uh, people may also think that it's better somehow. So one one of the one of the challenges in kind of reshaping the food system uh, in the Andean region is also uh, the nutrition literacy and the food literacy and uh, revaluing uh, also with the young generation a lot of these uh, uh, native foods. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's another excellent point of, you know, uh, letting people understand that, you know, exotic foods or, you know, uh, imported foods aren't necessarily better. You know, these ultra processed foods, while they may fulfill some sort of desire to eat different things, they're, they're not uh, maintaining community health. And I think, you know, that's what COVID has revealed the more the, you know, nutrient density, building immunity in our food systems from our food systems is more important than ever before. Food Tank is fueled by the generous support of our members. Please become a member today and join this movement as well as get tons of exclusive benefits. Visit foodtank.com join and become a member today. You know, I, I'm hoping you can talk about some of the links between agrobiodiversity and, and, and climate change. Why is it important? I think, you know, people think that these are separate issues uh, uh, and, you know, they each have their own sort of silos. What are the links between maintaining agrobiodiverse systems and sort of, uh, you know, uh, fighting the climate crisis? Yes, no, that's a fascinating question, no? And, and very simply put, I, uh, there's like two groups of thought or, or two types of hypothesis, no? And uh, both are a little bit uh, true, I guess. But with the, 
But one is like the doom scenario that this will be the final wipeout of for agrobiodiversity. Uh, and uh, there, there is evidence, especially for some of the very endemic crop wild relatives, the ones that are very endemic and have, cannot move upwards or downwards or uh, where, where there is a real risk of losing uh, the agrobiodiversity. Uh, at the same time, uh, there is this uh, effect also that that is kind of the risk mitigation and the survival of the fittest. So, so often the um, deployment of diversity uh, in a high-risk agroecology or in a, in, a, in an environment where you frequently confront uh, hailfall, frost, uh, it's it's a risk mitigation mechanism itself. Uh, so, so what we've seen in the past also with uh, extreme events, extreme climate events, is that uh, th there's a, a, an effect of a survival of the, of the best adapted. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it's kind of a, a Darwinistic uh, type of, of, uh, of uh, relationship where, where farmers from their, from their basket of options uh, choose those that are best fit to the new environment and to the new conditions. Uh, that doesn't only involve uh, uh, varieties, but it also involves uh, different different species. No, so so growing instead of one crop, growing several crops uh, as part of the risk mitigation. Another, another uh, very uh, important uh, phenomenon, especially in the Andean region is the upward movement of agriculture. Already the agriculture is the highest in the world. So, so typ typically the native potatoes, they are grown uh, 3,800 meters to 4,400 meters above sea level, but they continue to go up. Uh, and it's partly because the temperature is increasing. It's also partly because pests and diseases, uh, they also move uphill. So there is and diseases, but it, it poses a, a direct threat to the permanent pasture lands and to peatlands. And uh, especially the last few years, there has been more and more uh, documentation of the vast carbon stocks uh, that these soils contain. You know? So it's a, it's a very delicate uh, balance between the, the deployment of those very high levels of agrobiodiversity at high altitude to confront risk and at the same time, uh, those same crops uh, moving the altitudinal frontier higher up, affecting the, the carbon cycles. Absolutely. And farmers can only move so far up the mountain. Eventually they will they will run out of, of mountain to use. And I and I think you know that that sort of uh, you know very starkly uh, describes how much you know risk farmers are 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 facing because of climate change. And, and it's not just, you know, I think uh, many of our listeners may think, well, that, that just affects, you know, Peru, that doesn't affect the entire world. But if we lose those, those different kinds of species and we lose those different kinds of cultures who have been safeguarding the, those varieties and, and, and species of crops, then we have a real problem on our hands. Yes, definitely. The, the very solutions to those, uh, to those climate phenomenon that we're confronting are embedded in the in the genetic diversity of the crops, you no? Know? And uh, in the past, uh, maybe we we thought that that diversity could all be stored uh, in banks and botanical gardens uh, off farm, 
but there is increased recognition of the of the need to to work with farmers and to to keep the evolution of those crops going no? and that goes all the way back again to recognizing the role of the farmers to keep that service for humanity going no so that's that's uh, for global adaptation to to climate change uh, but also for uh, biofortification or for nutrition solutions we often go back to the to the to the genetic diversity and to the agrobiodiversity to, to find those characteristics. The International Potato Center recently launched the Andean Initiative, which I, I think, you know, is, is trying to address some of the challenges you're describing. Uh, what, what are its objectives right now in, in terms of not just safeguarding agrobiodiversity, but, you know, addressing these problems that you've described? So in the in the Andean Initiative, uh, it's a, a regional innovation platform. It, we launched it this year. The whole of 2019, uh, we we worked with uh, civil society, government, private sector in uh, Ecuador, Colombia, uh, Peru, Bolivia to set the priorities right. Uh, based on that, we developed the strategy. Uh, it includes agrobiodiversity, climate action. Uh, and also food for health, and th th those three elements, of course, are of course uh, highly highly connected. But uh, just to give a few examples, uh, in the case of agrobiodiversity, uh, we are looking for for financial incentive systems for smallholders to 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 keep the diversity. Uh, so that means uh, marketing of mixtures, uh, for example, from custodian communities and custodian farmers to, to consumers in cities uh, and also educating uh, consumers that uh, that it's actually nice to have a different variety on your uh, and heterogeneity on your plate you know, uh, because often uh, that's a challenge uh, in the in the case in the case of climate action uh, it's very much focused on on the on the carbon stocks that we just talked about, like innovations through rotations, minimal tillage, uh, and also observatories, observatories to 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 really take the pulse of what's happening with those carbon stocks in in highland peatlands and in highland grasslands. In the case of the Amazon, there are multiple initiatives at the moment. Uh, including with uh, with NASA and with satellite imagery to uh, to to kind of monitor uh, what's happening with the forests. Uh, we need a similar system for Andean peatlands and for Andean highlands, you no, know, that have uh, even higher carbon stocks below below ground. Uh, and at the same time, uh, with kind of the food system transition, one of the elements of the Andean initiative is to work with youth uh, and through schools. Uh, we we have had a lot of conversations with public procurement programs to to make those chains shorter and to provide to use public public procurement not only uh, to to in, to supply better nutrition but also to provide nutrition education and to provide income opportunities for for uh, for the producers in in those areas. Absolutely. I mean, I think what you've just described show, shows how holistic this has to be. It's not just, you know, international research institutions like the, yours, 
but it's the technology sector, it's farmers and civil society, it's the private sector, it's eaters and consumers who all really have to be involved in in making sure that uh, d- you know agrobiodiversity is is protected and and utilized and and can continue on. Yes, yeah, and science is an important element of that. But uh, I think in the CG centers and in the uh, also at the International Potato Center, we we we've known for for decades that that you have to work it through innovation platforms, and you have to engage with society in order to to turn uh, inventions into into innovations. No, and that uh, that 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 requires. Uh, uh, consultation. It re- requires uh, uh, participatory action research, uh, and it all it also uh, re- requires, like you mentioned, the consumers, like de- demand creation, uh, or or conscious consumers uh, can 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 actually uh, make a huge uh, difference in the food system. Are literate about where their food comes from, who produces their food. Uh, th- there's actually huge power uh, into shifting the governance in in the food system, and that that is something very interesting in in the Andean region, which I think is unique. Uh, again, you mentioned earlier civil society in Latin America, uh, but civil civil society apart from the NGOs, the 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 chef movement uh, in the Andean region has been really been a movement that has been able to. To, to to influence consumer behavior, no, and, and even influence policy decisions. So so that uh, chefs chefs and 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 uh, they have a huge role mo- model to and and they they are very much listened to in this region. Uh, not only about uh, what to eat, but uh, how to eat and and when to eat. Absolutely, the chefs have a greater and greater role. I think all over the world and and sort of. Uh, showing us the way, showing all, all of us as, as consumers the way and, and and how we should be eating and what we should be looking for in terms of, of diversity. Um, I, I love that Margaret just said the engagement with farming communities by ag research centers and by, is vital. And and I couldn't agree more that SIP does a good job in, in the Andes and, and elsewhere. I also think that the Andean initiative um, staff can hold a lot of lessons for for other parts of the world. Um, in, in terms of how to look at doing this kind of research and, and uh, you know, sort of uh, creating initiatives that look at a whole region that don't look just at one country or one community, but look at the region as a whole and how to address some of the issues you've, you've outlined. Yes, yeah, definitely. And I think it's a good moment to, to reflect on uh, the 11th uh, of, uh, of December, which is the International Mountain Day. Uh, uh, that's in one week from now, and uh, and actually the learning lessons, lesson learning from mountain to mountain, uh, holds huge potential. No, uh, mountain communities often uh, have the same challenges in terms of uh, isolation, in terms of economies of scale. Uh, they they have challenges to to participate in. In, in in an op- in an, in like in a global market economy and often they cannot have the economies of scale just because of how things are produced but at the same time they are rich in in agrobiodiversity and diversity and they can offer very unique products uh, that that can have a higher price and 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 uh, kind of a different place in in the bioeconomy so uh, also for climate change adaptation uh, the uh, water harvesting uh, what to do with deglaciation, uh, 
comparisons between the between the uh, uh, Himalayas and between the Andean region. Uh, there, there's many many lessons uh, that can be learned, and and also for for development in non-mountain regions. You no, know, uh, uh, if we look at the ten top ten uh, food crops. Uh, many of them originated in Latin America, and many of them have an origin in a, in a mountain in a, in a mountain setting. So uh, the innovations that we do today on on biofortification in beans or biofortification in sweet potato or potato, uh, it goes back to the centers of origin and, and often to the mountain to the mountain regions. So also those uh, those south south. Uh, lessons and mechanisms can also can also definitely be valued more absolutely that south to south sharing that mountain to mountain or mountain region to mountain region sharing i think is vital to preserve the the rich diversity again of 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 not just foods but cultures and communities and and uh you know the the, the impacts of of that preservation will help us you know create more resilience in the food system, not just uh, when we have the, you know, another pandemic, I hope we don't have one, but you know, uh, we'll have some sort of other global shock, whether it's from the climate crisis or, or something else. So making sure that these, these uh, regions are, are strengthened in terms of how they're looking at, at sharing resources and sharing information, I think is key. You're, you're, you're also uh, coming out with a book around 50 future foods. Is, is that right? Uh, yes, so so here the ma the magic number is uh, is fifty, and uh, uh, in in one year, for, or not one year, actually in a in a few in a few weeks, uh, two thousand twenty one, the International Potato Center uh, will will be working uh, for fifty years, half half a century, and uh, we want to show that uh, that that where we originate, like our origin is in the in the Andes, and one of the first things that we that we did is explore the genetic diversity and store the genetic diversity from the Andes. Uh, so for every year that we have worked, uh, we want to highlight one future food uh, or one novel food. So in this uh, in this book, we'll, we'll have uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, mushrooms, uh, fifty unknown food with 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 a high potential for climate adaptation and for for nutrition. Uh, and it will be in two volumes. One volume will be more botanical, highlighting the nutritional quality and the uh, and the origin of the crop. Uh, and there will be a second volume with uh, 50 recipes from farmer cuisine and also from chefs. That's amazing. That's great. I can't wait for that to come out. I will look forward to it. Uh, for people who want more information, they can go to uh, uh, sippotato.org, so that's C-I-P-O-T-A-T-O.org uh, for more information. Um, you know, I, I think for my final question, Steph, I, what are you most looking forward to uh, over the next, you know, six months when hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic in terms of, of how to increase awareness about agrobiodiversity and its many benefits uh, for for uh, you know, not just fighting the climate crisis, but making sure that people are getting um, the immunity from foods that they need. Well, per personally, I'm really looking forward to go again to the field and uh, get, 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 go out of the office and leave the chair and just go to the field at, at the at the uh, kind of the the area of the the, the group of, of farmers that we work with and our mandate. Uh, I, I really 
look forward to 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 working with all our partners uh, and and with, with with all our all our allies to 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 really make uh, make this uh, recovery from from covid and uh, and and have uh, have our lessons drawn from from this situation and put uh, keep keep the good lessons that that we that we learned and and to put them into practice and to and to strengthen them and uh, i look i look particularly forward to to our uh, increased involvement with working with uh, with with uh, with education and with with young people that's fantastic and thank you for reminding us of the lessons that we're learning from the Andean region. Those are lessons that I think, you know, we can all learn from. Uh, and, and thank you for emphasizing the important role that, that farmers and farmers groups really play in making sure that agrobiodiversity is protected. It's really been an honor to talk to you. Thank you so much for your work and, and please stay safe and well. No, thank you so much for the opportunity and congratulations with, uh, with the food, food Tank series. I think it's, uh, it's a, it's a great platform uh, with so many different opinions and so many different uh, points of view from different actors. No? So congratulations to you and your organization for, for pulling this all off. It's, a, it's amazing. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you.